0: Hey everybody, really excited about a new podcast I'm doing. So before you check out this one, and thank you for being a subscriber here, please check out my new show, Props and Drops, with the co-founder of DraftKings, Matt Kalish. We'll be talking a ton about alternative investing uh, and quite a bit about sports, betting, and in the alt investing world, sports cards, sneakers, uh, clearly NFTs. Just really excited about it. Uh, Gonna be a little more fun a little bit more culture, day-to-day humor. I think you're gonna really like the first episode if you haven't checked it out. The link to the new show, Props and Drops, is in the description of this podcast. Please check it out. Uh, would mean the world to me if you gave it a spin and hit me up on Twitter and told me what you thought. This
1: is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hi everyone, I'm Tim Lin Lee, Managing Director of Vayner Media Asia Pacific and welcome to our first ever APAC edition of VaynerX Presents Marketing for the Now. One hour, six guests, one question for CEOs, founders, and CMOs who are leading the way in their respective industries. Today's focus, how do you accelerate transformation? Hashtag marketing for the now. Gary, you ready?
0: I am always ready, Tim.
1: There we go, let's go. Okay, to kick off the show, we welcome Rupen Desai, global CMO at the Dole Sunshine Company, a company that believes everyone should have equal access to health and nutrition. Rupen's team recently jumped into the NFT space, creating a collection with acclaimed artist, David Tatuna to increase awareness of food insecurity and malnutrition worldwide, raising funds towards alleviating hunger today. Rupen, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, Gary, for having me again.
0: It's great to see you
2: again. Yeah,
0: uh, th- this time, an addition that is more specific to the region. So, Rupin... Uh, Let's just get right into it because it's only ten minutes, as you know you know how you know how do you, through your illustrious career think about accelerating transformation like for a lot of people that are on this watching on YouTube, you know LinkedIn, Facebook, I'm seeing the comments come in, they are in smaller businesses, entrepreneurial stuff, so it's always interesting to for them to listen in on people driving bigger organizations because they don't deal with the politics or the lack of speed, you're, the companies you're involved in have the resources are bigger, those are advantages, but it's hard to drive transformation because it's a big ship, you know? And so I'd love to get a sense for the fellow C-suite, Fortune 5000 individuals that are watching, um, where, do you kind of, uh, where do you kind of see that play?
2: So, Gary, transformation starts with accepting, I don't know what I don't know. And what that, what that gives rise is a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, a, a, a lot of blank blankness. Okay. And most large organizations are tremendously focused on a constant improvement of the current systems, the current management, the current status quo. And there is therefore a big imagination gap, which when combined with fear, which when combined with having the humility to accept that, I don't know what I don't know can be terrifying, can be terrifying. And, 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 you know, it reminds, it reminds me of that famous uh, uh, Bernard Shaw, George Bernard Shaw's quote, which was uh, some people see things as they are and ask why and others dream that never were and ask why not. And, and, mm-hmm. and, very few, and very few organizations are able to ask why not and then jump into it knowing that failure is almost certain. Do you believe that that's because
0: most organizations are driven by people who have less entrepreneurial spirit, are more comfortable drawing within the lines are more risk adverse because they're rewarded to be risk adverse because that's just the truth of it
2: yeah i mean most see as an organization grows larger your first need is to create systems to control to create order to issue handbooks to give people i don't know do it frameworks who decides who owns and what what we don't realize is what we are killing uh is creativity what we're creating is an imagination gap. And and therefore, companies as they grow larger are destined to be less creative unless there is a conscious effort to, to create a space for people to stumble. I mean, if you look at most of the large companies, they never started off, Gary, uh, where where they are today. I mean, 3M was a mining company. You 100%. know, 30 billion plus, plus to be. Oh,
0: well, most companies, when they get to that level of scale would make the founders of those companies throw up all over. I, I, I'm starting to throw up all over myself on VaynerMedia. I'm currently running it. Yes. It's my company. And even at 1500 people, I'm like, how many fucking meetings do people have to have where there's 12 people in the meeting for an hour when it's really a four person meeting for 30 minutes but everyone's gotta be part of the meeting because they feel left out. I mean, I don't even like my own company, let alone what a, the company will look like in 35 years when it has
2: 25,000 people. No, and there's a huge, there's a huge difference. Like I call it the rocking horse phenomenon at Dole, right? A lot of people within a system outside tend to sit in a rocking horse, go, whoa, 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 look mama, look, to realize that they're still in the same place. 100%. And we need to differentiate between motion and progress. And a lot of organizations sometimes tend to confuse the two and 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 continue to stay in the rocking horse. I mean, can you can you imagine being going back to that 3M phenomena, being in mining, discovering sandpaper, discovering it doesn't work, to suddenly selling adhesives and paper and a and a sticker that didn't stick? I mean, and, and the list is endless. So sometimes I think we don't give enough merit to stumbling, fumbling. Well, I mean, that's, that's why little companies beat big companies. Yes. Like there's a
0: reason why David beats Goliath because Goliath has lost its way. I, I mean, you wanna hear something incredible, Rupin? Like when I started VaynerMedia, I knew so little about Adland, I thought, that VaynerMedia was gonna get the, tw- this is li- I made this up, which is you know my first mistake. I thought big companies had 20% of their money allocated for innovation. I thought if you run Pepsi, Dole, Starbucks, that you have a budget, and 80% is to run the business day to day, quarter to quarter, all the shit that I anticipated, and 20% was to build it for the future, and I was gonna come in and crush that. Literally, it was a cold shower within the first couple of months. I'm like, wait a minute, 100% of the money is played over here. And oh, by the way, it's spent on shit that was relevant 10 years ago. So I thought I was going to be over here with 20%. And meanwhile, all the money's over here. And it literally, in 2009, believed print was more valuable than social. I, there's still organizations that kind of believe that.
2: But, but, but Gary, most leaders grew up perfecting a formula and the fear of trying the unknown and failing and failing miserably particularly at a day and time when most organizations don't no matter what they say about let's fail forward let's embrace transformation those are off those are off sites filled with bullshit
0: for optics
2: so unless 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 we create and it comes right from the top, it comes from the oh, board, it's exactly. unless there is a genuine embrace of the fail, not know, let's be five blind people trying to define an elephant, call what you may call it. Uh, it is it is basically a bit of speak in a nice CEO conference, a bit of offside, but it's never genuine transformation and and. And there's another piece of transformation i want to talk about because a lot of us talk to people like a lot of us about the issues we're having of why is my wi-fi not good enough you know 70 percent of the world still probably needs to deal with hunger sanitation
0: of course course. It's it's all contextual something you're complaining about is a privilege somewhere else and you know i think we have to be empathetic to that um and the, and and deploy that perspective, but it's just not the way, and it's definitely not the way of big companies.
2: No, and if we are talking transformation in the real world, uh, not not, I mean, I I saw the work winning at Can, and I I admired some of it, and I thought, wouldn't that amazing? We've solved the refugee problem. Everybody can now register on a offline phone. Great, well done. And then you go, yes, but that bubble lasted a week maybe two weeks maybe five weeks i don't know that i'm not commenting on that piece of work but i'm commenting on work like that in general we've got to find those solutions that transform the world and make it a bit more equitable we can't have the haves talking to the haves about the issue of the haves and call it transformation audacity i mean
0: privilege but but it starts with the fact of even thinking judging work for awards that are used for proxies to get business. Like it goes, it's your statement there was meta. Like sure, but like the context of even judging award shows for work that nobody really even sees so that we can speak in an eco, these normal people on the stream right now have no idea what the fuck we're talking about when it comes to TV commercials.
2: No, everyone's wondering about how am I gonna pay rent? What am I gonna do? Or
0: or, let's not even go altruistic, let's go marketing. Let's just do marketing, let's not even go big. Let's go small, marketing. Yeah. Yeah. We sit in rooms judging work, shaking each other's hands for big commercials, TV commercials that none of these people right here even know what the
2: fuck we're talking about. True. True. So, True. anyway, go please, last words. We're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves uh, and we're doing the worst damage we could to our business by doing that.
0: I couldn't agree more. That is my that is my passion every day, knowing that we're in the industry, but not of it.
1: Just Cheers. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Oh, Rupen, thank you so much. What a start of the show. Um, yeah, Tim, that was some,
0: we we just got right into the shit, right? This is, right, well, this, is this is, the this big is what things. we yeah, this is what we get <laughs> into here, Tim. This is like you're part of a different org now. This is not political correct hour brought to you by Vader X. Like, let's get into real talks. We have a lot of people in the chat who don't know the marketing advertising world and, and really associate with these conversations. So let's keep it moving.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So look, next up, um, another heavy hitter. Welcome, uh, UN Tan, CEO of PepsiCo APAC, uh, UN leads the company's food and beverage business across Asia Pacific, one of the most dynamic regions in the world, especially for this business. Uh, previously he was president and CEO of Walmart China. Um led the business through a massive transformation to become an industry pioneer, not only in omnichannel innovation, um, but also in retail digitization. Um, and he started his career as a police officer here in Singapore. So uh, here we go. Welcome, Yuen, over to you.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yuen, what's, a, what's, a, what's more gangster, being a police officer or navigating the corporate marketing world?
3: I can tell you both are uh, equally gangster. <laughs> You know the the uh, interesting thing about being a police officer when you're really young is uh, it teaches you a lot about empathy mm. and those skills can go a long way and that's what's uh, you know really also quite important in the corporate world
0: I agree and for everybody who's watching a little context of what's going on with pep you know again global audience watching but you know my intuition is predominantly North America with the sprinkling of Europe and APAC and south america what's what's the state of the union of the of the brand? In, in that region, is there any uniqueness for Blue Can or any of the regional brands? Just one minute on that and then we'll get into how you think about accelerating transformation.
3: Sure, absolutely, Gary. So, you know, as many of your audience would know, we are a global company with many well-loved brands, $23 billion brands, I think counting more than 40, $250 million brands globally. So all those brands that you know from North America, Europe, whether it's Pepsi, Mountain Dew, Bubbly, Gatorade, Lay's, Doritos, they're all here in APEC. But we also have some really unique uh, propositions here. Uh, For instance, our Australia business has a Red Rock Deli premium line of uh, snacks, uh, crackers. We've expanded into nuts and seeds as well. Uh, recently, we've also taken the Quaker brand uh, that you might know in North America as cereal into things like uh, granola. We launched a new product, uh, coffee granola and yogurt bite granola. So it's really exciting innovation happening in this space. And uh, last year, we also acquired an online uh, direct-to-consumer company uh, that's the largest in China of its kind, uh, selling all kinds of snacks from nuts and seeds to dried fruits to meat snacks. So. We are diversifying the portfolio a lot. We're innovating to meet the needs of the local consumers. Uh, And it's a really exciting time to be part of uh, PepsiCo and also to be part of APEC. I'm really glad that you decided to do a show here because, you know, it's a a really dynamic region of the world. Uh, And earlier we talked about, um, Lupin was talking about the burning platform, right? Yes. There's three things that are common about APEC consumers and markets. I think it'd be one, the pace of change. think about FMCG as being fast, but here in APEC, it's about 10 times the speed. Consumers here embrace new ideas really quickly, and they often think digital and mobile first. And there's just so much optimism about growth potential. Those three things really force you to accelerate transformation, because whether you're a big company like PepsiCo or a small company trying to make your mark in the world, uh, you have to move quickly, and you have to transform if you are stuck in an industry that is uh, seeing a lot of impact from various forces.
0: What, what do you think? Um, what do you think, from your perspective, Walmart included with retail being that close, transformation? Do, do you believe big companies spend enough time actually understanding the consumer, or do you think they spend too much time within the confines of what their financial objective is?
3: That's a great question. Thank you. I would say, you know. Uh, the common adage is if you don't pay for today, you can't have it tomorrow, right? So every company that's listed has to answer to investors, has to make sure that we deliver the returns. But I think that's the job of leadership, which is to make sure that you secure tomorrow, but you also build a new future for uh, you know, 25, 30 years out. And that's what we're doing at PepsiCo. It's not easy. Uh, there are short-term pressures you know this year you see a lot of impact on commodity costs for instance mm. uh, but i'm excited about the approach that we're taking at pepsico you know and if you think about um how to run this sort of business i really think about the organization as comprising different types of businesses so you've got you know startups within the company that are trying to manage and and set up from zero to one the kind of talent that you want in these roles um may not be the kinds that are great moving a business from 95 to hundred. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think yeah. you're making a huge point. I wanna make sure everybody gets in. We only have a couple of minutes. How much is casting a huge variable in the game that you play to actually create short-term success and viability and create transformation? Like, I think you're touching on the most important. Like, It's actually scary, in my opinion, how big of a deal casting is you were just speaking to it. You agree?
3: Yeah, it's critically important because the way big corporations have thought about talent in the past is you're going to join this company and you're going to stay for you know 20 years and make a career out of it. I think in future, if we want to run new businesses, we want to get entrepreneurs to come in and become entrepreneurs. Then when you think about careers as people who come in and do missions for three to five years, they have a starting line and a finish line and what what defines success. And after that, we should be happy for them to move on to other things because they're excited by the new and not necessarily about, you know, taking something from one to 10 or 10 to 100.
0: When you say new, do you think of the scale that you play at new within your world? Like, let's send them to Europe to run Gatorade or you mean new, like, screw it. People are gonna be in and out of our global four walls every three to five years.
3: I mean, new as in let's reserve a a chunk of money where we can go and try really crazy stuff that Uh, it's not under maybe even one of our brands. Uh, Let's go innovate against uh, an area or, you know, invest in some startups that can collaborate with us to innovate in a space that we've never innovated in before. But that's still core to PepsiCo's uh, consumer agenda, which is to drive more smiles and and through sips and bites for consumers around the world.
0: What's been the most interesting (laughs) transformation you've actually, well, we got two more minutes, you've been a part of like, it, what's in your entire career whether you were a young buck or yesterday um what's like you saw it in your real own eyes and you couldn't even really believe it when you and the team were done with it
3: yeah you know the the most fascinating transformation taking place right now is actually uh e-commerce in china right okay and if you think about how the industry has evolved it's really into its third phase now in the first phase it was you know the Amazons right. of the world, Alibaba's JPs right. delivering from warehouses. Uh, that business is struggling right now. You now have uh, store-based fulfillment. You know the e-convenience folks like Instacart, etc., and that's really booming. But in China, you now have a third phase of e-commerce, which is um, really consumer-centric, uh, content-based e-commerce. So when TikTok decides they want to sell to consumers too, it's a very different way of marketing. You need companies to think about the, the consumer. Uh, in a very centric way rather than the channels and the platforms. And that's a big change. Uh, I can't say that any companies have mastered it, but if you look at what, uh, you know, Walmart's doing in the US, they're also taking a lot of learnings from what's happening in China to, and APAC uh, to the rest of the world. And I think that's paying dividends as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's where global companies have a huge advantage because there's so many things uniquely APAC and China driven that haven't hit other places yet. It's human driven and it's gonna work everywhere else.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you an example from uh, my old uh, employers at McDonald's, right? Delivery is responsible for a huge part of the, the, the stock price over the last 10 years. And But 10 years ago, the delivery business in this part of the world in, in markets like Singapore, Korea, Taiwan was really 30% of total sales. So mm. it's, uh, you know, there are lots of trends that you can see happening here because of how, um, how the consumers really embrace new ideas. And it will start to hit the rest of the world.
0: My friend, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a real pleasure and honor.
3: Thanks, Gary.
1: you Thank you. Eyes on Asia for e-com and D2C innovation. It's truth. Um, amazing. Okay, well, let's keep going. Our next guest is Lynette Pang, Assistant Chief Executive of the Marketing Group at Singapore Tourism Board. Tourism. Tough, uh, tough 18 months in tourism. Lynette's responsible for building Singapore as a destination brand globally. She leads both consumer and business marketing across all comms channels, more than 20 key markets. She's had a very, very impressive career. Uh, Lynette's worked in entertainment, sports, health, education, uh, including stints with Formula One, Yahoo, and Warner Brothers, um, and now the brand Singapore. Uh, welcome, Lynette.
4: Hey, hi, Tim. Hi, Gary. A very good evening, and thanks for um, casting the spotlight on APEC.
0: My pleasure, and it's great to see you again. I really enjoyed some of our prior combos. Why well, don't know. I'm, like before we get into transformation, Mm. I'm just genuinely curious as someone who's responsible for tourism, you know, what have you and I'm, you know, I'm going to make assumptions over the last 18 months. You've had some conversations with other people that are in charge of it for other parts of the world. You've all been in the same basket. How Mm. difficult, how difficult were these 18 months? And more importantly, you know, how are you thinking about, you know, really accelerating, you know, transforming to be prepared for the appetite or the different behaviors. You know, when I think about Singapore, there's so much business travel that people then take into leisure. How many of those become Zoom meetings? Like, how are you prepping? Because I think you're, what's really interesting is we're talking in theory or history with some of the guests here today. I think you're in the eye of the storm of thinking about how to accelerate transformation because you're gonna have to deal with some sort of new reality and it's gonna have Mm -hmm. to move on you quickly. So when I drop all of that, how do you synthesize that? And what are some of the things that come to mind?
4: That's a really difficult and long question, Gary. Uh, Perhaps I can begin with two data points uh, in talking about the state of play in terms of tourism in Singapore. It's been very hard. if you look at, if you cast it and you look at it in terms of before and after, before COVID, we had four years of blockbuster growth um, and, and and it was record-breaking growth. And post-COVID, our visitor arrivals dropped by 85%. So um, it has been an existential um, problem, right? And and if you're thinking about another piece of statistic, which which I was researching on uh, to prep for this discussion, uh, McKinsey Global did a survey um, in July 2020 on transformation among C-suite, C-suites and senior managers. And this was a statistic that really jumped out at me. The share of digitally or digital-enabled products in company portfolios has accelerated by a shocking seven years in APEC was 10 years, and this was in July last year. So the rate of change in Asia and in Singapore, we're in the heart of Asia, has been fast and brutal and harsh. So one of the key things about what we do at Singapore Tourism Board is it's really about... um, how can we lead the industry and how can we help the industry, right? So the questions we've asked ourselves has been, we framed it in, in three time frames. In the short term, how can we rapidly, quickly just give aid to help businesses survive? Yes. Zero business, zero tourists, right? And then in the midterm, we need to think about very quickly, what are the tools in place that we can help the industry grow at scale? We're talking about uh, back-end transformation, we're talking about platforms. And that's the mid-term question. And that's tough, right? Because that's about learning and changing ways of doing. And of course, that's the prep for uh, the mid- to long-term, which you talked about briefly, which is about you know when when markets open, how can Singapore be distinctive? How can Singapore create an amazing experience so that we, we are a pool destination? So it's about helping them thrive. Um, and how we've been thinking about it would be there are three things I can talk I can talk about today. One would be really about um, the entire digital transformation, but transformation is not just digital. Two, really we're in the business of experience creation. We're in the business of whether you come to Singapore for business or for leisure, I need to bring a little bit of um pleasure right? And fun to experience. Mm-hmm. So it's about experience re-engineering. And, and the third bucket really is about, we are talking about transformation. We need to ask ourselves, yes, we need to be scrappy. We need to test fast. After that, we need to think very quickly about how to scale. And one of the ways at the organization that we've been thinking about scaling is through working with others, partnerships.
0: Excuse me. No you can inter- Yeah, I'll jump in. <coughs> Everybody, look over here, a bird. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Keep going.
4: <coughs> so <coughs> if you're thinking about digital transformation, really, there are a couple of things that we were looking at. The question we asked ourselves was, how can we look at building systems, improving processes at scale to help the industry transform? Very luckily for us, these were things that we were thinking about, and some of them we've built. But the adoption rate perhaps was slow. Sure. With the business problem that was real, <clears throat> adoption
1: Except.
0: was acceler-
4: accelerated, which was which was good in a way, but unfortunate that we needed that problem to,
0: to push but, people. But don't, don't you here. believe for big organizations <coughs> that the, almost the only time First of all, hold on. Is that like that? Might be the coolest water we've got. Lemon in there. What else is in? What's going on in there?
4: <laughs> Vitamin C, I and this it. this was actually made by a social enterprise in Singapore. I love it. Uh, it's, it's to help um, um, people with autism, and they make beautiful crafted products.
0: It's gorgeous. So, don't you believe large, large organizations really, unfortunately, only act during crisis? Um,
4: I, I don't. I think I don't think we can say across the board. Of, I, of would, course, yeah,
0: of course. But like you know, when you when you look at kind of the last, you know, your career, you've been in some big organizations. We big organizations like to talk about moving faster, but really only crisis gets them to really move at the speed of accelerating transformation of the ambition of let's say the individuals on this call. Right? You know, it seems that only when that happens, like it was, it blew my mind, how many CMOs only because of COVID finally looked at what was going on on TikTok, finally paid attention to the organic reach on LinkedIn, finally started to debate if production costs were way too crazy. You know, because it's just the reality of of how it is.
4: You know, Gary, I think one of the things that's been, Um, a great change in the past, perhaps five to seven years, has been that the talk and and, and about building in, you know, okay, it sounds like a truism and sounds a bit trite, but I just want to touch on this a little bit, about building a disruption in your company, right? In building perhaps a band of of crazy people who think about, you know, testing and learning and doing things that perhaps might not fit into um, the business objective for the time being. And, mm-hmm. and I think that has been built into a lot of major big companies in the West I've seen, and definitely in APEC. And I think as the Singapore tourism board, what we have to do, given that we have the government with a slightly different mm-hmm. role. So we've had to think about how do we then, um, build this mentality in big companies and at the same time, help small companies change. So a couple of things that we've done is we built systems, easy systems. One system that we built is um, small companies. You might not have content about Singapore. You might not have the latest information of Singapore. How can I help all these small companies in Singapore and around the world talk about Singapore consistently, imaginatively? So we built a back-end called the Tourism Information Hub. Through APIs, you can have the latest contents, latest visuals, latest um, information about the attractions we have. And the rate of adoption was... It was difficult to get people to understand what it was. It was challenging to get people to adopt it with COVID adoption rates have soared. Likewise, the other backend that we've built is really about uh, data. We built um, a data center, which we've opened up um, just prior to COVID so that the industry are able to have data at scale and they're able to make very data-led decisions about um, their customers.
0: you're we see
4: yes we need to enable it's
0: huge it's exactly right i'm 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 was so interested i'm sorry we've run out of time it's such a pleasure to see you uh and i hope you have a tremendous rest of the summer thank you take care take-
1: thanks so much Lynette challenging time for tourism for sure um so fascinating to hear but ex- it's but, but,
0: but you know now they're on the back end right Tim like now we're now it's time to go on the offense i'm exactly. dying this what as somebody who loves to watch human behavior I'm dying to see what all happens.
1: It's amazing. Like the inflection point that's about to come. But let me give you an if example. You can see it coming.
0: I am literally going to Los Angeles tomorrow and taking the red eye home. I literally, all of COVID said I would never take a red eye again and I'm doing it tomorrow because it's what humans do.
1: Yeah, you just go back to what you used to do.
0: Yeah, and it's gonna be a mix. I mean, I took I had a meeting today, tomorrow uh, I have a meeting Friday that I probably would have flown for. So it's gonna be a mix.
1: But like what, so I to, what I have
0: to do in LA tomorrow is just real human life.
1: Yeah, sometimes you just need it. But it's, there's a lot of talk about how this maybe has killed the business day trip and now you're just talking well, about never, how it hasn't yeah. so
0: it, it, People go into some definitive like this or that. It's always and. Yeah. Will I take every trip that I used to? No. Am I going literally fucking tomorrow and red-eyeing back? I'm literally, wake. I have a 4.30 wake up. 4.30, no, I have 4 a.m. wake up and I land at 6 a.m. Like it's crazy, but it's just real life. Anyway, keep moving.
1: It really is. Awesome, okay, so let's move on. Uh, Joining us next, we have Simon Khan. Simon's the head of marketing for Google in Asia Pacific. So he currently oversees strategy, research, brand management, advertising, everything. All (laughs) all Google consumer products, all business solutions, 16 countries in the region. Um, He's helped transform APAC into one of Google's fastest growing regions worldwide. So this should be a great discussion. Let's jump in.
5: Welcome, Simon. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Gary. Good to see you. How it's are a you?
0: Pleasure. It's I'm um, really well. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for being on. um uh, simon, when you when you think about this and and you've been executing, because I'm a fan from afar, what what are the ingredients? what What can we tell the young executives, the entrepreneurs, and definitely the senior executives at the scale that you're playing at, what has been the secret to getting something to actually accelerate at the speed that I'm noticing? And you've got so many products, so many objectives. Yeah. you know what uh what's been at the forefront
5: well i think it you know goes down to culture and casting and i know you were talking earlier with one of the guests around casting and it is i think it's incredibly valuable um yeah, I agree. If, you, if you start with culture uh you, you need to set an environment where you're rewarding risk um mm-hmm. you're you're making sure you're listening to everybody in, in the organization um and in many ways you're reducing friction right so mm-hmm. you're, you're pushing accountability and responsibility down as far as possible. Yes, uh, You're helping people understand that, that we are driving for opportunity. And it's not just about sort of keeping the, the engine moving, but finding the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Um, and then on the casting side. i so,
0: real quick on that. I apologize, you inspired me to a follow up. One of the things I think about all the time is eliminating fear, yeah. which leads to speed. But I'm a crazy character have a young, smaller company. And I watch my people who've been with me for 18 months, who've been given 37 data points of why they shouldn't still have trepidation because of the culture of societal business. You know, when I hear you talk, thinking about my realities and kind of the small, the investments I've made and watched companies like Facebook and Twitter and Uber, like I'm I'm fortunate of what I've been able to see at this young of an age. it's fascinating how challenging that is, even when you and your heart have all those intents purely. People yeah. still parents they grew up with societal norms, a prior experience that they. I mean, the bat. And wife, this is yeah, please.
5: I think this is even uh, more accentuated in a place like APAC, where you mm. to societal norms. There's a lot of respect for for hierarchy. There's a lot of respect for your elders. Uh, and and so you have to push hard against it. Right. So it's it's a fear, I think, that every every senior exec from any big company has is that you're going to get too slow and too and, and you're going to lose out on, on that opportunity. So I think a lot of this is about backing up your people. Right. So you you give them accountability and and when they make mistakes, you sort of, you know, you, you celebrate exactly. the fact that they took that chance and and and, you know, you make sure that they understand that you're going to be with them through the good times and the bad.
0: When did that happen for you in reverse in your career early on, anecdotally, an actual yeah. story, maybe give a shout out to somebody who did right by you.
5: That's you- that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so I, I, one of my job before this was with American express and, you know, American express is old established company, really well run, but taking risks is a, is a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. And at, at one point I was running the centurion card business in the United States. Uh, said so black card business. Yep, and we were debating uh, sort of major changes in pricing and in terms of the way the product was going to be organized and 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 put out to, to customers. And uh, Al Kelly, who's is now the the CEO of a um, Visa, but used to be a senior executive at, at Amex, really backed me up in a crucial situation where I was taking a big risk and was going to. It was going to have something that was going to have a material effect on on the company, on the product, certainly. Um, and and you know, just just to see him do that and to back up somebody who was relatively junior at that time was so empowering, right? And so mm. it's one of those things that I've looked to replicate. Uh, why, do you, in- why
0: do you think that happened?
5: Well, I think, you know, I came to the table with the, the right data, the right information, but fundamentally, I think he had trust in the person, right? He had trust, and as a leader, he, he, he trusted that I was, I was prepared and I was doing the right thing.
0: I love that. Um, what, uh, what do you think needs to be transformed most in big companies as you have this great purview?
5: Yeah, I think there are a couple things. One is you need to make sure you're thinking beyond what is happening within your company and not looking at the market or looking at consumers or your potential customers. Uh, within just the lens of your existing product set, uh, because you're going to miss the new trends if you do that. And and you need to continue to think and be expansive and understand like the trends that w- for years have been coming out of Asia that are now hitting the West. But, you know, f- for a long time, a lot of companies in the West just didn't understand it because it was a whole different business model. Uh, so, you know, one thing is to, is to be focused there. I think the second thing is to just, again, get to this point of, of, having people in the organization that bring a variety of mindsets, right? And this is where I get to casting, right? You need some oddballs. You need some people who will actually create some friction and add some really interesting perspectives to that conversation. It actually, and also helps quite a bit with diversity and inclusion, right? You get some, you have a whole diversity of opinions and backgrounds into the conversation.
0: How have you noticed the oddballs? You know, and it's really funny for me because I think it's you know it's a it's a very important combo because for me and my framework, the oddballs are the reverse from my perspective. Right. 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 The people that play within the lines, those A students. Yeah. Those those corporate, right? because I know where you're going and I think it's a very important good point. What's been so interesting for me is I only lived in entrepreneurship and then mm-hmm. I came over the last thirteen years in corporate, and for me, still to this day the oddball, the thing that feels off to me is the 98% of people I interact with. Yeah, Like yeah. to me, it's Charlie Brown. It's like, I, I literally know every meeting, how it's going to go because everyone's playing the same book. Yeah. How-,
5: how, and how and We have to create a 100%. culture that allows entrepreneurs to be comfortable, at least a bit comfortable within that environment, right? So- 100%. Right, if you you cycle through sort of folks who um, are the the grain in the system, uh, but they just constantly leave because they're dissatisfied. How do you
0: you get the non-oddballs in that scenario to appreciate what the oddball's doing? Because I laugh at the non-oddballs eye rolling at the oddball in a world where the non-oddballs don't realize they're playing the mundane and they're the commodity
5: yeah but the culture yeah set a culture and you know and we've talked about this for a while at google this whole concept of 10x thinking right so and coming from my previous background a 10x thinking would get you fired right but if you have if you have that sort of sense of like look we need to be audacious we need to take on these big challenges and this person has some crazy ideas but there's something here so let's let's figure this out and let's let's constructively um, sort of attack those ideas and, and build up to something that's uh, that's could, could be viable. I think that's one of the key things you have to do, but it starts from that setting that culture.
0: I'm a fan of that conversation. Simon, thank you so much and continued success.
5: Thank you, good to see you.
1: Thanks, Simon. Amazing, I'm absolutely loving mm-hmm. this. Um, look, right. let's keep <laughs> So much. When, uh, you're,
0: when you're willing to talk real shit with really strong people, you can have like, the, the comment section I don't know if you're reading it, Tim, like, and again, a lot of people watching are entrepreneurial early in their careers. You know, we've looked at the data, most of the C-suite watches kind of in-feed later. Like these are really interesting perspectives that may not, on surface, seem to impact the person who's, got a, who's an entrepreneur, or junior member in an organization, but it re- the thematics matter so much.
1: It really does, and the focus. I get. I mean, it's amazing to get time with with these people. Like the schedules are insane, and just people would kill for these moments. So, let's keep them know, I think just this experience coming through is incredible. Um, okay, right, amazing. So next up, next up, we have Jean Jean Madden. She's the CMO of Next Gen Foods, uh, the company behind Tyndall, Chicken, made from plants. Uh, Jean's a bit of a marketing maestro. Uh, I've known her for a while. Actually, I've seen her through this journey. It's really, it's really been amazing. She brings consumer insight, brand storytelling together in her own way. She has a wealth of fmcg experience um, and numerous awards but she's now bringing her flair to tyndall um, and and it really is taking the world by storm so Jean, welcome to the show love the t-shirt
6: awesome yeah i gotta gotta sport the swag right so how are you gary great to be here chatting about accelerated transformation i think it's Pretty apt when you think about that. We started the company, you know, ten months—actually, eight months ago. Launched a global brand, expanded it internationally, and then today, chatting with the legendary you on marketing for the now. So it seems to be a pretty good time.
0: You're very sweet. Thank you for that. And by the <laughs> way, the the font on the brand is incredible. Um, Thank you. I love it. It's the kind of that old school cartoon font. I love it. You know, what, what, when you think about this obviously having this great career and you're still extremely young in your journey and then now being in this spot where you are where it is moving fast yeah this is different than some of the kind of other organizations what have you siphoned in your first sniff in this role in this organization that you're like oh okay this is this is what i've heard it like what what kind of maybe whether it caught you off guard or not let's frame it a different way what was an observation early on of like, oh, I see why this is different. Anything stand
6: out? Absolutely, I think a, a lot. You know, it was a very big. I mean, I came from a very kind of traditional, yeah. background. Um, very large companies, very large organizations, and then you know, dipped my feet into making chicken made from plants, which you know is kind of is kind of insane, and decided to just kind of take this this. But uh, really,
0: really, not really not insane right gene like i'm sure this is what led to your decision like like if i had to bet the farm on fungus based like like on all these alternative like it's so obvious to me it
6: is so obvious and i mean it's a it's a huge huge market it's super exciting it's super fast-paced and i think at the at the core of what you know what we're doing is ultimately this point on accelerated transformation, right? And I think that was very much the very big kind of epiphany that I had um, joining this, right? So we talk about, from a marketing perspective, we talk a lot about, you know, how do we adopt a model that is very iterative, that you change, you pivot, you learn, you fail fast, and then you, you know, read the cultural signals and then you adapt and succeed but what i'm really seeing here at tyndall is that we're taking that kind of marketing model of this kind of iterative approach and really pulling it across the entire business model right so Obviously we're doing it in tech by bringing, you know, chicken that's from basically the technologies from like the stone age and bringing it into modern day, but also iterating on top of that, like how do we make this thing tastier? How do we make it healthier? How do we make it, you know, an, an even greater chicken experience, but in fundamentally in the business model itself, you know, we've, we're actually probably the best way to think about us is we are a tech company that scaling food, right? So our business why, why do you, model, And why do you think that?
0: Or why is it- Yeah, model? because- For the people that aren't aware of like what, why is it a tech company?
6: Yeah, So so we, our business model is actually very simple. We only do three things. So number one is we build global brands. Um, number two is that we do research and development, really the IP, the, the design of the product itself. And the last thing is that we, um, have really strong business networks, but that means that unlike a traditional food company, we don't own manufacturing lines. We don't own factories. We don't own trucks, you know, delivery trucks, etc. But that means that we have the ability to a scale Exponentially, very quickly, like a tech company does. Um, but also, secondly, that we're not—we have the opportunity to pivot to change, to change our strategy, to learn from, you know, to fall fast into failures and then, therefore, adapt and 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 succeed very quickly because we're not encumbered with things like, well, what's the MOQ at the factory, and do we need to rebuild a whole new whole new unit? Do people? Do people? question the
0: fact that you call it chicken when it's not chicken which is a little bit different than burger when it cuz it's not meat pers- like like how does how does that play out like how how does like i see a lot of people in the comments kind of referencing that like how does that play out
6: no i mean i think so it's it's an interesting topic um first of all it is chicken right cuz what what is chicken if you think about it a chicken is Right now it's a super archaic analog technology where you put soy and water into it, give it a few weeks and then, you know, you end up killing the processing unit just to eat it essentially. But isn't it an actual chicken, like the actual animal? It is absolutely so Tyndall itself is, first of all, it's plant-based chicken is really seen as the final frontier because it's actually a very difficult uh, meat to, to, essentially recreate, right? Because the taste profile, the the texture that consumers really demand is, is one thing. And, and I think Tyndall's really hit that mark. It is incredibly delicious. But the other piece is really the versatility of this protein, right? It's the one protein that almost every country has its national dish, you know, be it like grandma's chicken pot pie, or like a fried chicken sandwich. So it needs to cook in many different cooking applications, many different uh, kind of spices, marinades, etc. Unlike a beef burger, that might just be, you know, a bit of salt and pepper, and if you're lucky, a slice of cheese. But so so being able to nail all three points on taste and texture and versatility is what's really, you know, been what's very successful with, with Tyndall. And that's really the, the thing that, you know, we're really bringing to the market, right? So we're meeting the- And what about innovation
0: on marketing? Like, instead of just focusing on a product, just from a marketing standpoint, what are the exciting things that you're most excited about from a comms standpoint? Either channels or types of creative? How are you thinking about that?
6: Yeah, I think firstly, we've really adopted this kind of this approach that I mean, you talk about a lot, too, which is this kind of iterative approach, really kind of questioning, you know, why are we planning a campaign that's going to land three years from like three months from now when the world could be in a completely different state?
0: The old school brand building, brand positioning, it's just not fast enough for truth.
6: True. And, and and I mean, I, I've, I'm i testament to that. You know, I went through that school of marketing and I went through that. I was kind of, you know, trained in that in that sense. And so I think going back to your point about accelerated transformation, what is the biggest thing I've learned is like, you know, we didn't need a global pandemic to shake things up to make us realize (laughs) like, oh, okay, like we shouldn't be planning campaigns for six months down the road, putting all our eggs in one basket and hoping that you know the creative is right. Actually, we're thinking literally marketing for the now, like marketing now, this hour, this afternoon, what are we putting out?
0: How much is the challenge of driving down the cost of creative that is still contextual to the platform? Like you find out to be such a big part of the equation for that?
6: Yeah, I think, well, actually, so that's one of the reasons that we've really approached actually having an integrated agency, right? So like, rather than, you know, working with like agencies that have a very traditional model that are charging by the hour, et cetera, we really have an in-house suite. We have, you know, videographers, we have editors, we have designers, et cetera, and that allows us to generate way more content. You know, some of it's fantastic. Some of it's, some of it's really bad, but at least we're able to You mean like like life?
0: And I, I would, uh, people like Gary, but some of it's bad. I'm like, you mean like 98% of commercials? Like 99% of commercials are bad and they were slow and expensive. So what's the point?
6: Yeah, exactly. So I think it, it's really embracing this fact that like, you know, it's okay to fail, you know, it's not okay not to try. And therefore having as, as much as possible out there to really see what, what is the consumer feedback, you know? But also really thinking like a human being and not as like a marketer and like, okay, these are my subjects that I'm gonna try and you know convince. Swap. It's like what do I find funny? You know, what do the people in my team find funny or interesting? And let's put that kind of content out there.
0: I love that. thank you so much.
6: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Gene, thank you. It's okay to fail, it's not okay to try. I like that. I love that. that works. Amazing, okay, right, let's bring us home. So our final guest is Paul O'Hanlon, co-founder and exec producer of Beyond Radar. Paul's a TV and a media legend. He's made shows in Australia, all across Asia, even as far as Afghanistan, like in scripted content, entertainment, news production, everything, you name it. Um, He's held leadership roles at broadcasters and production companies. He was the managing director of Fremantle in Asia. He was also the producer of record-breaking entertainment shows, including Asia's Got Talent, World's Got Talent, um, this will be a,
7: a fascinating chat. So yeah, welcome, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Hi, Gary. I'm just a bit concerned about the uh, the, the lightning show. That's it's happening. real,
0: yeah. it's real. I might not make it, Paul. Did I'm you organize to,
7: that? Or I
0: organized that? that and I organized you putting up a painting of a chicken after that last conversation, just to quantify that this is a chicken or not a chicken. Like, So everything's working for me right now. The lightning, the chicken <laughs> painting, I'm on fire
7: here. So There's a lot excited. of jokes we could make about that rooster, but we won't go there. Um, actually, it's not even the year of the rooster in Asia. Um, interestingly, though, you are born in, I was just checking, you, you know what, what year you were born in?
0: I was born in 1975.
7: You no, know, no, I mean the Chinese year. <laughs>
0: oh, oh, But uh, I, I, I was like, damn it, a question I finally knew. No, I would love to know what year it was.
7: I'm going to tell you right now. Please. You might be shocked. To actually, we're in the year of the ox, and next year is the year of the tiger. You're born in 1975. Ah, you're the year of the rabbit.
0: That makes a ton of sense.
7: Let me tell you, rabbits are highly intelligent, uh, social, and affectionate. They're, they're also can be very bratty, and but but um, it takes a very type, a special type of person to work with a rabbit.
0: Well, i, 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 I many, 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 many very special people, and that is the absolute truth.
5: Paul, Thanks for having me
0: when you think about accelerating transformation from such a creative lens like you've had what has been the biggest catalyst
7: look you know I think the most important thing is when when we sort of look at brands and talk about brands and what we need to do uh, because a lot of the, the big productions that Tim just mentioned that I've that I've done we've had to align ourselves very closely with brands to obviously make it uh, make it financial sense. And I think the most important thing is that brands need to sort of identify, and uh, we need to um, work with them to. Uh, identify and then entertain audiences, and I think that's the way we should be looking through. Uh, that's the lens we should always be looking through, because at the end of the day, um, putting aside some of the platforms, you know, you know, we need to talk to people. We need to talk to different demographics and in different ways. And I think we also need to think about how we can be much more creative in doing so, mm-hmm. um, because without that, without that lens, um, you know, most content that we make, especially across Asia, uh, won't resonate.
0: When did you first realize you wanted to story tell? Just I'm now just kind of going off script because I'm enjoying the energy. Like when did it, when did you realize yeah. there was a creative bug inside of you?
2: Do you know,
7: I can't tell you exactly when, but it was at school. And so it started with music. It started with art. Then it started with coming up with innovative ideas and then making short films and it sort of progressed. And then, straight out of school, getting into into media at a time when you couldn't really go to university, that's how old I am, to learn to be a journalist effectively, you had to sort of like be creative in the ways that you worked. So um, but I think what really catapulted it for me was when I left Australia 20-odd years ago and moved to Asia, um, when you could actually see from small markets right up to the biggest in India and uh, Indonesia and China that you can go local, you can go deep, but at the, the at the end of the day, you it's all about entertainment, right? Oh. And I think that's the thing. You know, there are the, the world's biggest shows: The Brand's Got Talent, X Factor, Idol, all of those guys, you know, make a lot of money. And Simon Cowell is is a very 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 clever and creative businessman. However, I think the next big opportunity, um, when when we talk about sort of creativity, is looking at how we can take something from the east to the west so instead of looking at ideas and ip which is res which has come out of western countries and sold around asia specifically what can we do in in this part of the world to actually then turn it around and say okay there's some incredible ideas in asia there's also some markets which may be small but are full of fantastic creatives who can then come up with ideas that work for brands that talk to the right people that their, their audiences in a way which makes sense and then look at how we can transfer that around the region and beyond.
0: I, I couldn't agree with you. I mean, to me, the biggest reason I have a global organization is the arbitrage of the context of then being able to take that and deploy a contextual to the mm. other platforms.
7: Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent, and I think now the transmedia storytelling model is is the most incredible way that we can actually continually engage twenty four seven with with audiences, whether oh, they're leading a part of you know because, leading- because
0: because I think the thing you learn when you get some of the gray hairs that you and I have is some things are just incredibly universally human, and other things are incredibly not. But you know, a lot of times people fight me on this, and I say, did you ever think K pop like, have you watched k-pop bands perform in Alabama and yep. like watch the girls go crazy? You could have never sold me on that twenty years ago. Right. It's very clear where we are in the world, and it's a beautiful thing. I think it becomes more team human globally and has nuances of optimism over the next five hundred years.
7: It absolutely does. And I think that's the thing that it that it transcends nationality. It transcends language. It's about entertainment and engagement. And I also think, you know, go on to the days where you need to sit for an hour or an hour and a half to watch content. You know, let's look, look, look at TikTok. Let's look at five second episodes or whatever. Know,
0: but you know what's funny about that, bomb I'm starting to interject. I couldn't agree with you more, comma, I also believe in the reverse. Like maybe the most wonderful experience for me from content in the last two years was all eight straight hours of Queen's Gambit. Incredible. To me, I've I yeah. believe in this. I think there's too much fascination on length. I think that I will stop watching a shitty six second vine two seconds in, and I will sit through eight hours binging mm. on OTT and yeah. everything in between. They both work. I think what people people definitely recognized that we now consume more short form. What I don't think people have completely wrapped their head around yet is we are consuming long form at levels we've never thought before. As a kid, intuitively, creatively, as a storyteller, I always wondered why four hour movies didn't exist because there was many after two and a half that I was like, they should have made that three and a half because I could see they truncated the story and they fucked it up because they decided we won't sit here. I'll sit for fucking 10 hours in the theater watching a new Star Wars and I think, OTT binging has proven that. And I think that actually creates an incredible level of innovation and storytelling because there's a lot of humans that are willing to go much longer than we've historically thought.
7: And I think that's the great thing about platforms now that you don't have to sit to you know, 46 minutes, which is a commercial hour on, tele- on free-to-air TV. It can go for as long as, it, as the story uh, uh, holds, right? If it's entertaining and it's a strong story, you, you let it run. But I think also, and you just touched on that based on the fact that you and I have a few grey hairs, you more than I because mine's died <laughs> is, the fact, is the fact that I think we need to empower young people um, more and give them the tools that they need to actually tell the stories that they want to tell. Um, and that was one of the most incredible things that I did in my career, which is, was working in Afghanistan and empowering young girls yeah. to give them a platform to be able to tell the stories of young women who didn't really have a way up until that point in time to, to be able to be heard. And I think, you know, it doesn't take, and you touched on it earlier yeah. as well, we're not talking huge budgets on any of these things. Okay, the Queen's Gambit, a bit sure. different. But sure. uh, it's about t- a, a, an interesting story and and how you tell it, not about what the budget is. It's totally. insane what this does. Totally. You
0: know, I'm not a I'm not a camera lens. Like, uh, that's not my education, but I spend my time with many people that are. When some people yeah. explain to me the power of this camera compared to even mm. 15 years ago, highest oh, yeah. qual like the innovation is there. And now, it, you know, what's incredible is truth is such a foundation of a great story, isn't it?
7: Definitely it is, and I think what what we need to do is actually uh, look at how we can tell those stories in ways which are going to engage people, which is what brands need.
0: I couldn't agree more. Paul, final thoughts. When you think about transformation, casting, a dictator up top who she or he pushes it, uh, pain in the industry, which leads to it, what, what, final thoughts on what actually leads to actually accelerated transformation?
7: I think what actually leads to it is is making sure that we are listening to what people want and, and doing that in a way which is uh, collaborative, creative and commercial. And I think you need to harness all of those elements together to push things forward. And again, earlier I agreed with everything you said when you talked about you do a fucking, you know, two-hour meeting, which could have been a 20-minute meeting with 100 people in the room instead of 10, and things just get dragged down. Ego,
0: insecurity, and optics, and politicking, peacocking.
7: Of course, though you, do need, you obviously do need to get people on board and engage, of
5: course, of course. But,
7: but that's different. So anyway, I Cheers. appreciate your time. I'm wrapping you up. <laughs>
0: thank you. Thank you for wrapping me up. I wish you a wonderful day, and Cheers. thank you for everybody who's been on the show. Tim, take us home.
1: Paul, Gary, amazing. Thank you so much, everyone. What a bunch of, bunch of smart people. So, so, some powerful lessons in there. Uh, uniting theme, kind of try new things. That's what leads to change. Um, awesome, mm-hmm. look, thank you so much. Thanks, Gary. Yep, thanks thank to you. all of our speakers. Um, and thanks to everybody for joining us. Uh, next up um, in the Marketing for Now series, July 22nd, um, 12 to 1 PM EST. So maybe a little struggle for the asia based audiences here, but um, but perfect for everyone else. How do you get close to customers? Hashtag marketing for the now. Um, Tim, as always, real quick,
0: real quick, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Everyone's going bananas for your guitar collection. Can you give us a little, can you tilt your camera? Can you give us a little love? Like people are freaking. What do you need? I need a little action. Like how you keep me? Like why is everyone so excited? Like what's going on here?
1: It's a great question. You can see my messy floor. This is it. This is my wife's worst nightmare. I've now got to the point where I can't, I can't buy more, but I can just buy more expensive versions of the one I have and just pretend they were the ones I always had. But yeah, <laughs> this was my collection. This is my son's. My son's two. I bought him this one as a, as an 18th birthday present. I'm just going to look after it for 18 years. Um, just. Uh, but wait, isn't viral. he two? He's two. Like, and you just said, said for 18. 18, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's
0: 18. With, Tim, I'm a little worried it. about how you're going to run the PL if if you are 8 and 2 and 16 and 18.
1: <laughs> Fine, I mean, that's only like... We're a little out, but it I mean, it's, just, it's just a two.
0: Yeah, brother, <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really excited so about your leadership in, in APAC. Congrats again on the promotion. Uh, your you big shoes to feel. Avery's a beast, but I, I have a, a lot of belief in you, and thank you so much for uh, architecting and orchestrating this episode.
1: It's been amazing, Lila. Thanks for hosting, as always. It's um, been, been an absolute pleasure. So, yeah, look, Bye, I'll everyone. wrap it
0: up. Cheers, everyone. See ya. daily on uh, our favorite reviews so take it away which were our favorites
5: this week thanks so much gary today's amazing five-star review reads i listen to this every morning on my way to work and it's phenomenal so much info to take in and process also motivation to the max excited waking up every day to listen to this thank you gary also props and drops is awesome thank you so much for that kind review and to anybody else listening out there if you leave us a review you might just get shouted out in the next episode